Good morning. My name is Dustin Yankaski. I'm one of the Campus Life Pastors here at Westville. Super awesome video, especially in God's providence. You know, Ben is here actually uh, on a rotation this week uh, leading worship. We'll get more into that as the message kind of unfolds. But uh, I just, again, wanted to welcome you here. If you're a guest with us, I wanted to let you know uh, of something in particular that you can follow along with today's teaching by uh, going to lpguest.com in your browser or throwing your camera over the QR code in front of you. We've got message notes there, but your one thing to do today with that is to uh, fill out the guest information card for us. Let us know that you were here. That's super important. Um, We'll make a donation, actually, to a local ministry of your choice, just as a way to say thanks for taking the 20 seconds to do that. Um, So while you're doing that, for everybody, today's Trunktober, right, from 4 to 6 on our front lot. Exciting. Uh, Lots of cool things to say thank you on on that. This is like one of the first times we've had too many trunks sign up almost. Like, it's been great. That's a great problem to have. That's a testament to you guys being awesome. Four to six, we're going to decorate all of our trunks. We're going to have lots of candy. Um, it's just going to be a great event. And the last thing you need to do is to show up, take an invite card or five, and invite somebody. It's like the most low-key invite you can ever have. Like, come and let your kids have fun. Be a hero. Have fun. We're going to have food, uh, prizes. Um, actually, so if you uh, invite people, they'll be uh, signing up to register when they get here with this. And they'll say, hey, I was invited by so-and-so. We're going to take all the pool of people um, that you've invited and you guys are going to have a prize to yourselves just for, uh, you know, being awesome um, inviters and being a part of the impact that we're praying this has. So thank you for that. Also, we're going to have prizes for best costume, best trunk. It's going to be awesome. Um, so would hope you uh, just come out, invite some people to come out and be a part of that. That'll be great. So this is our last week in a series that we're calling Ordinary People, right? And so what we've been looking at is the supporting cast of the Bible, the, the people who appear just for a moment, but God uses their life in an incredible way. They appear minimally, but their impact is mighty. And so the big idea that for the series that we've been coming back to every week is God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary purposes. I think this is important for all of us to hear because we often, incorrectly, I can even sometimes fall into this, think that God uses the special people for the extraordinary impact right? That, you know, God's up there with the, the heaven equivalent of the senior superlative yearbook, like best dressed, most likely to, to succeed, best teacher, uh, most outgoing. And when he needs an extraordinary impact, that's the pool of people he dips into. But when you read scripture, God's word, that's not how he operates at all. It seems like he most often prefers that he uses the people who are poor in spirit, the weak who know they need him, the one the world considers least likely to succeed, which is good news for me and you as ordinary people, right? And so we're talking about this week uh, somebody you may have heard of in the Bible but doesn't get talked about often because they're complicated. It's a woman that's a prostitute named Rahab. If you're making a list from the world's perspective on who the world might guess would be at the bottom of the list of people that God would use, she'd probably there. She was a Gentile when God had chosen the nation of Israel. She was a woman in a time where, uh, in a time and culture that marginalized women. She was a Canaanite, which means she grew up in a culture that worshiped over 230 gods. Oh, and she was a prostitute. World would say, we might think, man, there are plenty, plenty of others God would use first, right? Well, then you get to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith chapter, pillars of faith, absolute legends, And you get to verse 31, and it says, 
by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, see, Abraham gets a chunk of the hall of faith, and that's the kind of person that we would all expect, right? I mean, he's a stud spiritually. Like, he's, he's just awesome. I would expect, you know, those are the most likely to succeed types that I would expect in Hebrews 11. He's got that catchy children's song named after him, right? The father Abraham had many sons. Thanks for letting me sing this alone. All right, I appreciate it. I know more of you know it than that if you grew up in, in Scripture. But, you know, the thing is, we sing songs about Abraham. I've never heard Rahab the prostitute song. Like, that doesn't exist. But yet, here is God's word in the hall of faith, elevating her life in faith to teach us something. It's incredible. The story that Hebrews 11 references is more fleshed out in Joshua 2. So that's where we're going to start out our, our time today. And we're going to look at just three quick points uh, we'll, kind of, we'll kind of go through. This first point is a prostitute shows us what biblical faith is all about. Second, God blesses Rahab's faith beyond belief. And lastly, faith reframes life's obstacles. So a prostitute shows us what biblical faith is all about. And so some context here before we dive into chapter 2 of Joshua. So remember, Moses led the people out of Egypt, right? They were under slavery, and they're on the exodus. They reach the promised land, the edge of the promised land, and Moses sends in 12 spies to kind of scout out and report back what the land is. Well, 10 spies say, man, we saw some big boys in there. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of fearful. I don't think we, can, we got this. Well, Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies, were like, yeah, we saw them. God's got this. The people on the Exodus chose to side with the 10, right? And they were fearful. And so they had 40 years of wandering until a new generation grew up that would trust God. Now, Joshua 2, the Hebrews are once again on the edge of the promised land. Uh, Moses sent in 12. Joshua only sends in two because I'm guessing he's like, well, we only needed two the last time. And so he says, specifically, go scout out Jericho. Go look at Jericho. Now, Jericho was a six-acre plot of land. So it wasn't this sprawling metropolis. It wasn't this dense population center. It was more of a military fort held about 200 soldiers. And when the spies get in, they see this brothel slash hostel of Rahab. And they think, man, this is a good place to hide, right? It's not going to raise any red flags seeing these strange men enter this place, right? That's, they're accustomed to seeing that. But they are the worst spies in the history of espionage because right, right away they're found out. Word gets back to the king of Jericho. They send people to come, like a search party, to come find them. And this is what happens. Joshua 2, 3 through 7. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to uh, be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on their way, uh, on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So as a parent of three young girls, uh, one of my least favorite games to play is to line them all up and say, hey, who did this horrible thing? Fess up. Like, tell me the truth, right? You know, bless my heart. There, there, there's uh, one of our twins, one of the youngest, they're about five or six. She's so bad at lying. Right? Like, she hasn't yet perfected that, or I know probably it'll come. But, like, literally, when she lies, when she's guilty, and I say, did you do this? She goes, no, it wasn't me. And she raises her eyebrows. So we told her, hey, we know you're lying because your eyebrows are raised, which has not helped her at all. Because now, when she's guilty, and we ask, did you do it? She goes, no, it was not me. I didn't do it. And I'm just like, you were so bad at this, but it's so, so cute at the same time. Um, so Rahab lied. 
In fact, she started off by saying the word true, the men came, and then everything after that was a lie. And it was so convincing, her story was so compelling, that as far as we know, they didn't even check her house to corroborate the story. And I won't go on a rabbit trail with this, but it's important to recognize that the Bible never says she was blessed because she lied. So we can't ignore the morality and what God said is sinful, but she does show unbelievable courage in this. What if they had found out? She risked it all, her family's life, her life. And what she says next is nothing short of remarkable. Goes up to speak to the spy she's hidden after the search party had left. And this is what she says in verses 9 through 12. She went up to the roof and said to the spies, I know the Lord has given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. This Canaanite prostitute who grew up in a polytheistic culture with hundreds of God uses Yahweh's covenantal name and said, he is the one, God of heaven above and earth below. On what basis is she making this incredible statement of faith? She said twice, we've heard. We've heard about all the things God has done for you, how he's proven himself powerful and faithful to you. She's not seen any of this firsthand, by the way. This is all word on the street. She risked it all based on that. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, and she has heard. And in hiding the spies, she shows her faith. I'm aligning myself with Yahweh. I'm serving him. And she says, save me. Save us. You know, frankly, Israel had way more knowledge of God and personal account of his faithfulness. Yet, they couldn't be persuaded to act when minimal risk was involved most of the time. You have this, this prostitute risking it all. That hall of faith inclusion starts to take shape a little bit. Rahab, Rahab's name pops up a couple of other times in the New Testament in addition to Hebrews 11. One being in the book of James. James 2.25 says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And so listen, faith and works and the theological implications and working of them both can be its own series, definitely its own message, and I'm about to condense it into like half a point, so give me some grace. What James is not saying is that we must add works onto our faith. If we need to add anything to the cross, and the cross means nothing. So Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Jesus cannot be the door that we open by faith only to get to work on ourselves. The gospel is what saves us, is what grows us, and what keeps us through the end. What James is saying is that faith is a trust that demonstrates itself in action. Faith is a trust that shows itself, that demonstrates itself in action. So your relationship with Christ is proven or justified, proven over time, not by what you say you believe, but according to James, by what you do because you believe. Another way to say that is how you serve God. 
Rahab tells the spies of the things that she's heard God do. She isn't just reciting historical facts for fun. She is, that's part of her confessions. She's connecting God's past faithfulness to her, to her current situation and per, her current profession of faith and was motivated to serve God by it. And so maybe you've heard this before because it's so simple, but like just picture faith, uh, picture a chair up here and, and faith that the chair will hold you is demonstrated how? Like, how is that faith demonstrated itself in action? By sitting down, right? Like, it's, it's super simple. Like I said, you might have heard of it. But what James is, in essence, is saying, I trust that this chair will hold me, so I'm showing you that by taking a seat. You trust? Yeah, I trust. I totally trust. Go ahead, take a seat. Well, can we talk about it? What do we need to talk about? You said you trust. Yes, I trust. Go ahead, then. Take a seat. Show me. Well, I, I, I'd rather stand and talk. And so he, he, he's, we like to make these two different things, and he's bringing them closer together saying, I know the justifications we tell ourselves. If you trust, sit down. I'll show you I trust by taking a seat. It demonstrates itself in action. The Christian faith is both about knowing the things of God, this inflow, and living the things of God, this outflow. You can call that orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We need both to be in tension. If you have just an inflow of the knowledge of God but no outflow, I heard a pastor say, that's like spiritual constipation. Like you're just taking it in and there's nothing, there's no outlet for it. And you get this irritated kind of people that you don't really like to be around, the Pharisees, right? They had no fruit in their life. They, they knew the things of God, but they had no outflow of it. On the flip side, you can be all about living the things of God and not know, and then that, you're borderline tempting heresy. Like how, you gotta believe the right things of God. You can be led astray by false things. So we do need both. And so how can we know if our faith is demonstrating itself in action? Jesus said it best. Look at your love for God and your love of people. We will always be imperfect at doing that on this side of heaven, yes? Like we've gotta give ourselves some grace there. On this side of heaven, we will always imperfectly love God and love people. But legitimate trust in God always leads to a life that moves towards God and people. Yes, imperfectly executed, but alive in there nonetheless. James is saying if there's no movement, it's not there. Rahab's trust demonstrated itself in action. And look at how simple her faith was. Hide them. Look how broken it was. She lied while doing it, but yet she was moving towards God, and God blesses her faith. She shows us what biblical faith is. The second point, God blesses Rahab's faith beyond belief. It's incredible. God blesses Rahab's faith beyond belief. So because of her faith, the spies make an oath to save her from the judgment that is coming to Jericho. Verses 2.18 in Joshua. They say, when we come into the land... You shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather in your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all of your father's household. If a, hand, if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, the blood shall be on our head. So chapter 6, as they come into the land, they see the scarlet cord in their window and the destruction that is happening to Jericho. We have this, verse six, or chapter 6, 25. But Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in, in Israel until this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So physically, her life, Rahab, her whole family's life was spared from Jericho's destruction all because of her faith. And a lot of commentators connect that scarlet cord to the Passover. 
that occurred in Egypt before they were let go. And, you know, for the Passover, it didn't matter if you were an Israelite or an Egyptian. It didn't matter if you were good or bad. All that mattered was, are you covered by the blood of the lamb? Didn't matter. That's the only thing that distinguished and saved you from the judgment that was coming. And that's the gospel. When Jesus appears on the scene, John the Baptist points to him and says, behold, the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're good or bad, if you grew up in church, you didn't grow up in church, are you covered by faith by Jesus? Only the ones that have faith in him are saved from the judgment of their sin. Either he pays for it on the cross or we pay for it eternally by being separated. And God blesses Rahab beyond just the sparing of her life and her family's lives physically. Notice verse 25. She has lived in Israel to this day. She was adopted into a people that were once her, not her people. She was adopted into the family of God that was once not her family. Whatever her past was, God gave her a new life, a new future. It's as if God is speaking through the, Rah- the story of Rahab to us. He's not limited by our past hear him saying, I don't care about you. You all have a past. I don't care about it. Only God can make our past the past and give us a new future. Rahab, in her ask for salvation, says to the spies, please deal kindly with me, right? That word kindly is the Hebrew word has said. It means God's covenantal covering like a blanket. Whatever your past, the regrets you have, whatever you think limits you, faith in God is bigger. It covers us. And I don't know about you, but I know what my past sounds like, that temptation to to just give in. Oh, you yelled at your kids today. You said what to them? Don't you know they're God's gift to you? Pretty crappy parent. Remember that time you were super judgy of that person and you did the exact opposite of loving them? Some orthopraxy that was. Oh, you did a great job showing that person how bad of a driver was with that look that you gave him as you passed. I mean, aren't you, aren't you a Christian, Dustin? I hope they didn't see the light point sticker on the back of your car as you drove by. I mean, these are legit. Like, these are, this is legit. That's my past. But when you come to Christ with your past, his work on the cross has covered you kindly. His love is his head. Covering your past. It does not mean the consequences of your past go away and they're gone, but it does mean that God has made himself eternally accountable for payment through the finished work of Christ. He's the red cord that runs all the way through Scripture. Another place Rahab is mentioned in the, in the New Testament is Matthew 1, the ancestry.com of Jesus, right? Uh, maybe you've skipped over that because it can get kind of like you have to focus. It's like so-and-so the father and so-and-so the father and so-and-so the father and so-and-so, but Rahab is in there. Rahab is in there. After the fall of Jericho, Rahab moves to Israel and meets a man named Salmon, and they fall in love. They have a son that they named Boaz. Boaz married Ruth and had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, King David. Talk about how God blesses Rahab's faith. Rahab the prostitute now becomes Rahab the great-grandmother of kings. Oh, and beyond that, even more than that, Rahab, the ordinary person of faith, God uses for extraordinary purposes because now she's in the most significant family tree that has ever existed, Jesus's. She, she could have had no clue how God would use her faith, but God uses ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes. So faith, the last point is faith reframes life's obstacles. Faith reframes life's obstacles. For the original set of spies who scouted out uh, Canaan, the ten spies, 
They had fears. They had obstacles that were greater than their trust in God, right? If, if the lack of faith reframed that, their obstacle. For the two that came back, they had a big God, so they had small obstacles. The size of the obstacle has to be measured against the one going up against it. If you're doing the work, big giants, big people, big obstacles. If God's doing the work, it's light work. Faith makes all the difference. Faith made all the difference for Rahab versus Jericho, right? What distinguished Rahab from the rest of Jericho? It wasn't her superior morality. It wasn't that she knew more information. They, they had both heard the same information, but yet while one group of people, was, their hearts were melting by fear, Rahab's was melted by faith. She agreed with God, aligned herself with Yahweh. And Jesus says, when the troubles of this life come, when, not if, when those obstacles come, Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Faith will make all the difference. Trust in me. It doesn't make your obstacles vanish like we would like, but it does give you a soil for your faith to take anchor and hold and get you through. So what do we all land on this? Like, right? We're not trying to hide spies. I mean, that's not our step of faith that we have to take. But there isn't one person in this room whose faith doesn't have an obstacle. In those moments, we tend to see faith in God as, God, show me what to do with this obstacle. God, show me the way around this obstacle. Show me a way over this obstacle. If you do, I will, I will do it. I will follow you. But then you have those, that verse in Proverbs that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's very different. I want to understand so I can follow. And he says, no, no, I'm not giving you a map. Faith is not a map for you to trust in. It's me, a person to place your faith. Whatever comes your way, you have an anchor in this life and his name is Jesus. And so one of the most significant things in the ways I think this lands for us is when we hear God wants to use your life for his purposes. Don't we start to put ourselves as that obstacle? Well, see, you don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm not as equipped. Uh, our minds flood with all these reasons of why that won't work. These fears that prevent us to actually trust and demonstrate our faith in action. Oh, if you could just explain to me how you're going to use my life, then I would understand, and then I would, no, it's, it's different. You want a map. Some of us don't put our trust in action because we are the obstacle we can't get over. Maybe we're too ordinary, too unequipped. You're not knowledgeable enough, too checkered over past. But we have this example in Rahab who didn't look at her past, her unfortunate cultural upbringing, her chosen profession, all that she didn't know in comparison to the Israelites, she looked at what she did know of God, and she acted. Very simple. She looked at what she did know of God, and she acted. And the more we get our eyes off of ourselves and look to God, the more our faith will reframe those obstacles that were usable in the hands of a mighty God, that he wants to use us, he wants to involve us. You heard that in Ryan and Ben's video right? You can hear that same temptation that the spies gave into to look at themselves in Ryan and saying, like, you know, hey, I didn't know how to teach second and third graders. I mean, who of us does, right? Like who, I, you know, the more I looked at myself, I didn't know. But what I did know, I acted upon and I stepped into. Yes, and God grew his faith, as he said. But they also used that act, that step of obedience to transform Ben, the next generation, in ways that he couldn't even foresaw. And this person who was scared to talk to second and third grade boys is now teaching adults on Sunday, right? Like, it's just, it's crazy. Rahab didn't know the impact that her faith would have. She could not have foreseen how God would bless her, but yet she acted on what she did know of God. And God blesses that. 
I get it. We all have perceived limitations. We all have perceived limitations on ourselves. And we use that as excuses why we don't act. I heard a pastor at LifePoint say this way once. You know, Abraham was on Medicare. Moses had a speech impediment. Jacob was a thief. Joseph was an ex-con. Rahab was a sex worker. David was a homicidal adulterer. Elijah was bipolar. John the Baptist ate bugs. Thomas doubted. Gideon panicked. Martha stressed out. Jonah was directly, directionally challenged. Samson was relationally challenged. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. Jeremiah was, too, Jeremiah was too young. Sarah was too old. Noah got drunk, and Peter couldn't swim. All these people, clear, clear limitations, that these are the people through whom God used to change the world. You're no different. I'm no different. Of course, if this was about us, we'd fail. But it's not about us. The object of our faith is so much stronger. God is so much stronger. One of our core values is personal ministry, right? And with that, we say we are servants. And as we serve our servant king, who came and died to serve us, he makes us more like him in that. Imperfectly executed, but that's the direction our lives move towards. At home, this is true. At work, this is true. In this church, it's true. It's true of who he makes us into. But how much more should it be true inside these walls, right? As we, our brothers and sisters in Christ, serving our servant king, that we serve one another. So if you consider LifePoint Church your home, and you're not serving, your faith is not connecting or demonstrating itself in action in this way, why is that? We need you to step up. Your faith has an opportunity to grow. It's one of the ways our faith grows. You can serve here and join in with what God is doing and see the beautiful fruit that he brings about that you couldn't even dream of. We don't have four full-time ministers on staff that do the work of God and half a dozen other part-time. We have three to 400 ministers of God that he wants to see deployed doing his work that he's prepared for us. And so I would just encourage you and challenge you, don't be a spectator in this. If you are bored in your faith, you're not doing this faith thing right. If, you know, if we have this temptation to show up at church and almost treat it like a concert, right? It's easy. It's, it, here's the stage, and I'm just partaking in this. And if you and I show up at a concert, and they're like, hey, help us with the chairs. Help us do concessions. You're like, uh, this is weird. I, I'm not here for this. This is not right. This is not a concert. This is God's family coming together, serving our servant king, and serving one another. So we've shown you this picture, these slides of the places that we need people to use their talents and gifts to serve the body. The blessing is that these numbers have come down um, as you guys have been taking steps to serve, to serve. But again, if you consider LifePoint Church your home and you want to get involved, there's two things that you can do from today. Um, one, or they both take place at Guest Central. The first is if you see one of these areas and you're like, man, that's me. I just know I need to take a step and, and do it. Great. Go up and sign up for that life group. We'll get in contact with you or the life team and we'll get in contact with you. The other is if you see like five or six and you're like, I, I got analysis paralysis. I don't know which one to step into. Which one, you know, which one best fits my need? We've got you covered. Next week, we're having a life team orientation where we're, we're unpacking these life teams and where you can best fit to serve. We'll take you on a tour and actually show you these life teams in action so you can get a firsthand account. Sign up for that. Do one of those. But would you take a step and connect your faith in this way? And maybe for you, the step is not serving. Maybe your first step of faith is actually to place your faith in Christ. Putting your trust, your faith in action by saying, I don't see my sin 
that's bigger than the cross. I want to be, has said, kindly covered from my past and be found in Christ. That there is a judgment coming. And one day, either I'm going to be accountable for it or Jesus will have paid it. The video we saw illustrates the fact that Ryan will have a part of Ben's ministry and future for eternity. He multiplied himself. It's not easy. It's not always convenient. But it is some of the best investment of our time that we can make. Because when life is said and done here, we won't hear, well done, good and faithful connections guest greeter. Well done, good and faithful worship leader. Well done, good and faithful pastor. Well done, good and faithful parent. Well done, good and faithful lawyer. The words that we will hear and looking to hear are, well done, good and faithful servant. And as God uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. So I'm going to close and I'll pray for us. Thanks for letting me serve. Would you pray with me? God, I, I just confess I need to see you as bigger than I do right now. That our church, us as individuals, that God, we see you and allow our faith and trust in you. Maybe we need to look back like Rahab and look at all the ways that you've proven yourself faithful and powerful and let that motivate us to trust you in the present to see you bigger than, than anything else in the entire universe and see you pursuing us in Jesus on the cross and just to surrender. Say, I will trust you and let that trust demonstrate itself in action. Where the 10 spies had a faint kind of vision of you and still had fear. God, would you give us faith? God, I, I pray that we as a church would more, look more like you. Out of our deep trust of you, we'd become servants like you. That we'd marvel at the fact that you've called us into this, this part of your eternal story. And for those of us who are serving, who are giving and, and connecting our faith and demonstrating it itself in action, God, I pray you would, we would feel your peace. That we'd get a sense of it being okay and we'd actually have the ability to rejoice in being used. Uh, ordinary people as we are, by an extraordinary God. And if there's parts of us that are consumers, God, I pray for conviction. Not guilt, but conviction. And also a wide-eyed trust of you that our lives can count for so much more. We see you move in extraordinary ways, in ways that would be beyond belief, like Rahab. God, I pray that our, our lives would be marked by faith, not just in how we serve one another, it would bleed itself into every facet of our life, God, because you're our servant king and we want to serve you. You are worthy to be praised and served, God. We love you. In your son's name we pray.